Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning I'm excited to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. We ended last week at verse 20 of chapter 3. As is our tradition, we just continue on book by book, verse by verse, which brings us to verse 21 this morning, uh, dealing with the baptism of Jesus Christ. A wonderful, wonderful passage. Uh, it, it means the world to me, um, so I'm excited to share it with you. Let's go ahead and, and pray, and uh, while you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Father God, we thank you for your word. It is alive, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's your, a lamp unto our feet. It illuminates our heart, our mind, our soul. Help us to see what it is that you would have us see this morning. We pray that the church would have ears to hear what you are saying to, to us this morning now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we're, again, dealing with uh, Jesus and John the Baptist. If we've been following Luke from the very beginning, they're two cousins, and, and we see John the Baptist and his miraculous birth, and, and then we see Jesus and his miraculous birth, and we, we see the story of these, these young guys as they're growing up. And now in uh, chapter 3, we start seeing them begin their life of ministry. Both of them, six months apart, Jesus being younger than John, um, are at that age, 30, when a priest would normally begin his duties in the Levitical system, the religion of the, the Jews in Judaism. And so now they're, they're setting out in this ministry, and we saw John the Baptist, as he was called, He's that herald. He's the one to go before, prepare the way for the Lord, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and, and this is John's message. And we, we talked about a lot of that last week and how uh, his message is very much an Old Testament type of a message. This is the hinge, if you will, between the Old Testament prophets and then the New Testament, Jesus Christ and the apostles they hinge together right in these chapters between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. It's the passing of the baton, right? The passing of the torch. And uh, we're going to see the law become obsolete, still perfect, still pure, still good, still worthy of uh, being emulated. We, the law is good, but it's by the law you can't be saved. And, and this is the, the problem that Judaism had. This is the problem that John the Baptist is telling them, who warned you to flee the wrath to come, you brood of vipers, right? And they're trying to get right before God in the law and all the works and activities of their religion, thinking somehow that being born descendants of Abraham is going to get them a free pass into heaven. And John the Baptist says, that's not the way it works. You need to repent. You need to be baptized, and you need to change where you're going. And so we get to chapter 3, verse 21. It says, when all the people were baptized, this is down on the Jordan River with John the Baptist, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Verse 23, it says, now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age. And so this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. You can read about this here in Luke in chapter 3, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and even in John in chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. So if you want to do some background search and get a little bit more information as to what Luke writes in these two simple verses, uh, you can get a little bit more of what's going on. I'd like to read a little bit out of Matthew chapter 3 because there's an interesting piece in this. I think that a lot of people are, are uh, sometimes have trouble with, okay? In Matthew chapter 3 at verse 13 we read, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Verse 14, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, 
For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed them. This is something that weighed heavily on my heart as a young Christian. I understood as I came to know Jesus Christ. I was 28 years old and, and I was a sinner. I was a prodigal. I was, I was uh, kind of at the end of my rope. And as a last resort, I thought, I'll call on the name of Jesus. Even though I had been raised in the church my whole life, I was trying to be good enough. And the truth was, I was anything but good enough. And in my heart, there was this war going on because I knew there was nothing good dwelling in me. It was just a, I was just a mess. And, uh, and my life was a mess. And there was just a, a yard sale. There was a train wreck in my family, my relationships, my work. Everything in my life was falling down around me. And basically, I was despairing of life itself. I was just so tired of being tired and getting nowhere. And I remembered, Jesus, I need to call out to Jesus. And I did. And when I did, I said, Jesus, you know, you're getting a really bad deal because everything that's good about me, I've just wasted. But you say that if I will confess you as my Lord and give my life to you, surrender to you, then you will make me a new creation. So you're getting a really bad deal. <laughs> but you can have what's, what's there. And he took me up on the deal. And I know that moment, his Holy Spirit filled me. And I could, I could sense a change. And, and everything in my life has been different since then. And, and I've, just, I've walked in the newness of life. What the Bible describes as being born again, a new creation. All of a sudden, things started making sense. I started seeing the world through the scriptures, through the eyes of Christ. And all of a sudden, everything started falling in line. Yet, I was walking as a new believer for several years. I, I, back in the day, I wasn't keeping track of time. Nobody told me it was important to write down the date that you say your prayer and get born again. I didn't know any of that. I was just stumbling along, doing my very best to cling to Jesus. But it was three or four years into my walk, I had met Cheryl. We had gotten married. We had a child. We we're in a Bible study. Bible study is growing into a church. All these things are going on. I had not yet been baptized. And the reason I had not yet been baptized was because I didn't want to play fake, phony, religious, ritual Christianity. I had grown up in that, and it, was, it left me bankrupt. It wasn't doing anything for me. If I was going to do anything with Jesus, it had to be from a conviction in my heart, from something I saw and I understood. Well, there came a day where we had an itinerant pastor. His name was Steve, and he was coming up to visit the Mammoth Lakes area to help our little Bible study along. And he asked, have you all been baptized? And I said, I haven't been baptized. And he said, well, why not? And I said, I don't know. I studied the Bible. I've read about baptism. I've seen all the things in there. But I just haven't been convinced that I need to do it. No more than I want to get a Christian tattoo or wear a crucifix or put a bumper sticker on my car. That's not going to make me a Christian. And he says, it's true. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. And baptism doesn't save you. But let me ask you this. And then he read this passage in Matthew 3, verses 3 through 15, Jesus saying to John the Baptist, you baptize me. And Jesus' answer to him was to, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Jesus was son of God. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. There was nothing that he needed to repent of. He didn't need any remission of sin. And yet he submitted himself to John the Baptist that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Again, it was hard for me to understand, but the pastor told me, he said, listen, it's good enough for Jesus, right? Do you call yourself a follower of Jesus? Let me ask anybody in this room. Does anybody in this room call themselves a follower of Jesus? Okay, well, Jesus did it. Follow him. And I'm like, wow, that made sense. Uh, you know, all the theology just really wasn't working on me, but that made perfect sense. My Lord did it, so why wouldn't I? I want to be like Jesus. And so we scheduled a baptism. Robert was with me. Uh, we were living in the Sierra Nevadas in the Mammoth Lakes area. It was springtime. It was really cold. There was a lot of snow out. Was, and so we decided to get baptized at a place called Hot Creek, okay? It's a geothermally active area, much like Yellowstone. And down along Hot Creek, even in the wintertime, even with the snow, 
the, the, there was hot water. It was actually boiling water, but sometimes it would pour into the creek, and you could find these pools. And the, and the plan was for the church to go down to Hot Creek to do baptism. So the day came, we all got in our rigs, and we went out to the parking lot. Now, it's much like the gorge is here over in Twin Falls, where it's down these basalt cliffs to the bottom where the creek is. And so you park at the parking lot on top and hike in. So that's what we did. We all gathered. But when we got there that morning, the parking lot was full of motorcycles. And we thought, wow, somebody beat us to it. Sure enough, as we hiked in and got down to the bottom to this big pool where we had planned to have our baptism celebration, there was dozens of hell's angels. They had brought their kegs down there. They had their boom boxes. They were going for it. They were having a good old day. So we had to kind of pick up our plan, and we moved down the creek about 50 yards to where we could find another pool decent enough in size to get dunked into. And as we started there, we just humbly, you know, broke out the guitar, and we're singing a couple songs. And this big bull kind of a dude, I don't know who he was, the leader of the bikers, he said to them all, shut up, they're doing religion down there, turn that thing off. <laughs> they shut off the radio or the boom box, and everybody just sat and watched. And we sang a simple song, and the preacher prayed over us, and I went in first, Robert went after me, and it was kind of cool because... You know, I'm thinking of this scene where Jesus, right, this, I'm, I'm excited, Jesus, he goes into the water, he comes out, and there's a voice from heaven, and doves are landing on him like, this is awesome, I can't hardly wait. Well, there were no voices from heaven, there were no doves, but I can say this, and it's a fact, as I came out of the water, there was a band of angels cheering for me. <laughs> it's true. Again, that's not your testimony, that's my testimony, but that's what baptism is, is a public testimony, that I am a follower of my Lord Jesus Christ, and what He does, I want to do that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Simple enough, right? So here we go, we've got this baptism, it's often described as an outward sign of an inward change, right? It's a public testimony that you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and choose to follow Him and be a witness for Him. Baptism powerfully proclaims what God has done for you and is doing in your life. In addition to following Jesus, baptism declares that you are adopted into the family of Christians, united through millennia, around the globe by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is, okay? It's a testimony. Now, John's baptism here, we've been reading about, he's preaching a baptism of repentance from sins, okay? And this is where it begins. You have to recognize in your walk with Jesus Christ that you are a sinner, you fall short of the glory of God. You don't fulfill all of the, the rules as God has designed you for, but you've gone out on your own and done things in a different way. You've fallen short. You've missed the mark. That's what sin literally means. It's just you're not hitting the target. That's all, the way God created you. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. And this is what John the Baptist is preaching. Repent and do works worthy of repentance, okay? Change the way you're thinking. This is metanoia. We talked about it last week. Uh, a change of mind, a change of uh, beliefs, a change of direction in your life. Whatever direction you were going of yourself or following after the world and the things of the world, you need to stop, turn, look to God, look to His Son, Jesus Christ, look to His Word, and start going that way. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going this way. It doesn't mean you do it perfectly. It just means you're headed in the new direction. You have repented for remission of sins. This idea of remission is a phasis in the Greek. And the reason I bring that up, it simply means for the forgiveness of sins. Repent, stop sinning, then you can get forgiven. Just ask to be forgiven, right? But stop. You can't just keep sinning and then just keep asking for more and more and more. Now, this is the practice of sin. This is a lifestyle of sin. It's knowing you're doing it wrong and you're doing it anyways. you got to stop doing that. I mean, let's face it. It's just not going to turn out well for you. You know that. I knew that. That's who I was when I confessed Jesus. My life was a train wreck. I needed a change. I confessed. I turned. 
and God forgave me. He delivered me from my sins. He pardoned me. He cleansed me of all unrighteousness. Does that mean that I'm perfect now? Anybody? No, you all know me. (laughs) Far from perfect. I'm not a perfect person, but I follow a perfect Savior. Whereas before, I was following a corrupt and broken program, okay? The things that I was doing were just not bearing good fruit. So I changed direction, and this is that. Large crowds were coming out to John, right? There was the Jews and the Gentiles we read about. There's the tax collectors. There's the soldiers. And in the Old Testament, actually, and in practicing Judaism back in these days, it was actually rare for baptisms to occur, in Judaism. It wasn't something they did on a regular basis. John the Baptist kind of popularized this as a new activity, okay? There were days, the Day of Atonement, once a year when the high priest would cleanse himself and then he would go in to offer sins and, and, and make uh, uh, requests that the, the nation would be um, forgiven of their sins. And occasionally somebody would become defiled through some act that uh, would cause them to be separated from God, and they would need to get washed. So they have in Israel, when you visit today, these things called mikvahs. And a mikvah is really a ceremonial bath, and usually it's just a pool. You see it in churches nowadays, we'll call it a baptismal, right? But there's steps going down in, and you get in the water, and you come out the other side. And that's what the Jews would do if somebody was ceremonially unclean, or if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, but you wanted to follow after God, you considered God the true and living God, and you wanted to honor Him with your life, you could convert. You could be a proselyte and convert to Judaism, and then you would walk in the mikvah, you'd go through the cleansing waters, and you'd come out. It's not about getting the dirt off your body. It's about getting a clean heart. It's a ceremonial. It's ritual is what it is. But it's a picture of a decision that you've made. So you go in the water, you come back out of the water, but it was rare in John's day. But John now is having crowds of people coming down from Jerusalem, from all over Judea, out there to the Jordan River, and they're getting baptized because he said, prepare the way. Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. The Savior is here, and you want to be right when he gets here. Same story today, team. We're living in the last days prophetically, biblically, there's really nothing on the horizon that has to happen from a Bible standpoint that will prevent Jesus from coming back anytime. The first thing on the calendar would be the rapture of the church, where the church is snatched away, that we don't have to go through the wrath of the seven years of tribulation. But as far as these things, the seven years of tribulation, if you look at all the things that have to happen on a global basis in order for the seven years of tribulation to take place, never been possible at any time in history until all of a sudden today. We're watching all of these prophecies, all like popcorn, going on all around us. You'll hear people say, man, the world's falling apart. The truth is, if you read the Bible and you study prophecy, everything's falling together. We're, we're, knocking, we're on the doorstep. Jesus is knocking. If anyone would And, you know, let me come in. I'll sup with him. I'll dine with him. We'll have communion together. We can break bread. We'll be the bride of Christ at the wedding banquet and and that. But for those who aren't prepared, it's not going to be good. And that's what John the Baptist was telling everybody. Come on, Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. Get ready. Okay, that was his baptism. Okay, Um, and it was symbolic. It was an outward expression of an inward transformation an immersion, if you will, and that's what baptism literally means. Baptizo means to immerse. It's to take something like garments or laundry. It's used in doing laundry, but you plunge it under the water, right? And you wash it and you cleanse it. And so it's an immersion into a new lifestyle in which you are now cleansed from the inside out, spiritually speaking, okay? It's ceremonial. Uh, but J- John wanted to prevent Jesus from doing it. And he's like, man, I need to be baptized by you. I'm not worthy to uh, unstrap your sandals, right? Which is what a, a slave would do. The slaves would always take the sandals off and wash the feet of people because they're out walking these dirty roads. John says, I'm not even worthy to be your slave. You are so amazing. He would say, you must in- I must decrease that you could increase. It's all about you, Jesus, right? So what are you doing coming to me to get baptized? He tried to prevent it, right? Jesus 
is a son of God without sin. There's no need for cleansing, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? So there's no need for him to change his mind to repent or go a new way. But it was permitted to fulfill all, unright, uh, to fulfill, fulfill all righteousness. <laughs> in John's gospel, in chapter 1, it doesn't speak specifically of Jesus' being baptized, but in John chapter 1, in verses 28 and 29, we read this, these things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So we get an idea of what is happening here. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so, in fact, this is what happened at Jesus' baptism. We read about this. There's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And it says something like a dove. It doesn't say a dove, but something like a dove. It was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. One of the things that's interesting in this baptism of Jesus is that we see the Father, God, speaking from heaven. We see the Son, Jesus Christ, obedient in fulfilling all righteousness, and we see the Holy Spirit now manifesting himself in the, sh the appearance of a dove. And people have speculated, what does that mean? I know that in Genesis chapter 1, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And this is something that the Spirit of God has been described in from the very first verses in the Bible. And the Spirit of God is manifest in many ways. The Bible talks about it as anointing oil. That's where we get the word Christ. Christos is an anointing. The Spirit of God has come upon a person. It's pictured as water in the washing of the water of the Word. It's pictured as fire as on the day of Pentecost when everybody was gathered and the Holy Spirit came upon all of them. They were born again. It says, and there were as it were, it doesn't mean there were, but there as it were, tongues of fire dancing above their heads. They were on fire Christians. And so we see these manifestations. In this case, it looked as though something came and landed on Jesus. It was visible. And so we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus Christ, okay? Signifying that this is something that not only is amazing and miraculous, but it's of God. It's supernatural. Voices don't come from heaven all the time. Have you noticed? Right? And yet, this is one of those areas, you know, some people will say, well, there's no mention of the Trinity, in the, Holy, in, in the Bible, and they might be saying the word Trinity, T-R-I-N, whatever, how you spell it, right? In their right, that word isn't in the Bible, but we see the Trinity often show up, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, often in one verse throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And so the Trinity is a reality. We just use the word Trinity, tri-unity, three in one, to describe God, God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, okay? And so, this is the Trinity right there. And it, it's kind of cool how this comes about. Um, and it says, I'm not even worthy to baptize you. And, and, and John would say, in, in John the Baptist would say in John chapter 1, uh, this is he who baptizes with the Spirit, okay? So, it's not just the mikvah, traditional, ceremonial, go in the water and come out of the water, but it's something that God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, does inside the believer. He baptizes you. He immerses you. He fills you. He overflows you with His Holy Spirit. And you become a new creation in Christ, okay? As you turn from your old life and turn towards Christ, He fills you with His Spirit. And that's called that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now what you could never do before, 
in pleasing God because you're trying to do it in the power of your flesh and whatever your agenda might be. Now as you're following Jesus, he just gives you the power. He fills you with his spirit and you're able to please him through that. And so Jesus here is identifying as that spotless lamb worthy to be sacrificed, okay, uh, for the remission of sins. In Judaism, it's the only legitimate religion in human history, okay? God, Yahweh God, ordained Judaism in the wilderness with Moses, the children of Israel in the tabernacle. He set up the Levitical priesthood and the system of sacrificing for the atonement, for the covering of sins. You did something wrong, you could get back into God's good graces by paying the penalty which would involve, and the, and the Bible lays out different sacrifices that you might bring, uh, a dove or a lamb or a bull. And that, that animal was sacrificed. Its life was forfeit in your place. It was a substitutionary atonement, okay? And you would take that animal, which is precious to you, and you'd have to sacrifice it. And that showed you the penalty, the high price of sin, the cost of sin to you. And, you know, if you ran out of bulls and lambs, you're in bad place, right? Because you're still sinning and you have no way to get right with God. But this was the system that God ordained, the sacrificial system. And Jesus is now presenting himself as the spotless lamb, the perfect lamb, the lamb of the Passover. We just had communion. We talked about that, that you would take that perfect lamb without blemish, without spot. You would sacrifice it, paint it on the doorpost of your house and then as you received that lamb and that sacrifice and you had that meal covered by the blood of the lamb, then God's judgment would pass over you, okay? Because you're now living uh, covered by the blood. And that's what this picture is, the uh, lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in this, Jesus identifies as the spotless lamb fulfilling the religious ritual. He identifies as the perfect man worthy to pay the penalty for humanity's sin. Instead of sacrificing a bull or a goat or an ox or a dove, now man is dying for man's sin. In order for that to happen, God had to become man. And that's what we read in the opening passages here, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his birth, okay, as God became man and dwelt amongst us. And that's what makes Christmas so spectacular, is that finally now there is an a, a adequate substitution. There's an adequate sacrifice. Because these, these, these animal sacrifices, they don't really take away my sin. They, don't, they can't pay the full price, but a person could. So God became a person, a human being. And he became that perfect sacrifice for sin. But also in that, perfect God, not perfect man is worthy, because he's man, he's worthy to pay, but perfect God is able to pay. Because none of us in our own power could pay the price for our sins. There's, there's, the only way that can be done is by the shedding of blood. And so Jesus is identifying with those things. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read, for he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, the Son, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And this is the part that's so excellent, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the great exchange. What I could not do, God did for me. He became sin for me, when he hung on the cross, God poured all the sin of all mankind. Every sin that's ever been committed in the past is happening right now in this room, you sinners. Or for all of eternity, the whole pile of sin, God poured on Jesus Christ. He suffered without sin, died, and took that sin to the grave to be buried, never again to be resurrected. As far as east is from the west, those sins in God's economy, as he accounts it, have been paid for. And then we look upon Jesus Christ, our ribbon, risen Savior, as evidence that he did pay the debt. He took it, he buried it, and he came back to life again. That we can live forgiven of our sin. 
And so this is this picture of identifying for us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The question is, have you accepted that gift, that grace, that free offer? You don't have to pay for it. It's done, been paid 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. All your sins were paid for. The question is, have you accepted payment? Have you received payment? I know I use this analogy often, but you go out to a restaurant, you're having a nice meal with your spouse or some friends, you get up to go pay the check and you find out that somebody at the other table already paid it. That's cool, right? So how foolish would it be for you to say, well, how much was it? I want to pay you anyways. That's what people do when they try to pay for their penalty when God has already paid for it 2,000 years ago. The right thing to do is to say thank you and receive it and just be filled with joy. Wow, that is so awesome. And then pass it on. Do it for someone else. Share the gift, right? It's free. And so this is that picture of what's going on here. Uh, Jesus here is beginning his public ministry by identifying himself with his public mission, which is to take away the sin of the world. That's what he came for that he would die in our behalf, that we could live in him. So it's a public de declaration of his mission. John the Baptist is saying publicly, prepare the way for the Lord, right? The father is saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's public. Everybody can hear. It's coming out of heaven. Jesus, the son, is obedient amongst everybody, fulfilling righteousness. He's making a public declaration. And the Holy Spirit is resting upon him. The anointing, that, that overflowing of the Holy Spirit is evident to everybody. And this is the beginning of that public ministry of Jesus, that public declaration. So that was John's baptism with Jesus, but there's Jesus' baptism, okay? Now, to be clear, there is no recorded instance of Jesus actually baptizing anyone in the Scriptures, okay? There's no place that says, and Jesus baptized Mike. It's not there, okay? Uh, but we do read throughout the New Testament of the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Christ in many places baptizing others in the New Testament. Um, remember, Jesus gave only two ordinances, only two commands, only two orders. You are to continue keeping the communion, coming together as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, and celebrating that banquet feast, celebrating me. That I want you to continue to do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And he gave the other ordinance to the church, universal for all time, that we would continue in baptism. He says this at the end of his ministry as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, He has commanded us, He's ordained that we would continue in this ritual that John the baptizer initiated, and now the church celebrates this opportunity, this public declaration, this identification, this proclamation that I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? And it's interesting, as time has gone down for the last couple thousand years, uh, it's clear from the Bible that baptism is something that every believer should do. It, it took me three or four years, but I got it, five years, but it's clear Every believer should be baptized, and yet through the centuries, there's many differences uh, arisen with regard to who, what, where, when, why, how we do all this baptism, right? So, just to back up for a second, from the Scriptures, we can clearly see that baptism is symbolic, it's identifying, and it's public, okay? It's initiation, it's immersion, and it's infusion, okay? I'll kind of maybe unpack that a little bit. The, the initiation, okay, or that symbolic, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, we read, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Did you know that? 
when you get baptized, you go under the water. That's a picture of being buried. But what happens first, when Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, you die to yourself and your selfish desires and your desire for sin, and you're made alive to Christ to do His will. And so you are baptized into His death, Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We read there in Romans chapter 6. It's also an immersion, as I had mentioned. Baptizo is to dunk, basically. And it says in Galatians 3.27, For as many as you were dunked, <laughs> as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So it's immersion, it's identification. As we are baptized or submerged, immersed into Christ, it's like putting Christ on. The old man goes away, we come out of the water a new creature. We come out Christian, okay? Christian is just the name that, the church, that people gave to believers, followers of Jesus. Christ, Christos, is the Greek for the, the Hebrew Mashiach, Messiah. That's the anointed one, literally in the English, that who had the anointing, who had the chrism, who had the Holy Spirit. If you've got the ghost, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, and He's given you His Holy Spirit, you are anointed. You are Christians, Christian, okay? And so, that's just that picture. You have put on Christ. It's much like you take garments, right? And you want to say, dye a garment. Okay, and you take a white garment and you put it in a vat with a purple dye. Okay, and you take this garment and you dunk it in the water, you mush it around, you, you immerse it. When it comes out, what color is it? It's purple, right? Because you put it in there, it's taken on the qualities, the attributes, the appearance of what it was immersed into. Okay, you have now identified with Christ, now you are Christ-like. Of course, we're a project, but nevertheless, uh, we're, we're moving in that direction. And it's also an infusion, okay? In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, this is this event that happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured upon the believers and the church was born. It says, then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They heard the word of Peter his, his message that they need to repent. They need to get right with Jesus. And they said, yeah, that's what we want to do. Well, what do we need to do? He says, well, confess Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and we'll baptize you. Now, and that's, and that's what happens. So there's an, there's an initiation, there's an immersion, there's an infusion, there is a, a symbolic aspect, there is an identifying aspect um, there is just that, that picture of what God has done completely for us. It re, it, baptism symbolizes initiation, repentance from a lifestyle of sin, death of the old and selfish, sinful self. Immersion, receiving the remission of sins or receiving the forgiveness, the cleansing, the baptizo of our soul. Can I stop for just a second, Christian, in this room? This is probably one of the things I end up in counseling with more than anything is people don't understand what Jesus did for you on the cross. He forgave you. You are presently, eternally forgiven. You are free from the guilt of shame and sin and death. It has no power over you anymore. Yes, you're still a knucklehead. Yes, you still miss the mark. Yes, you're not God. You're not Jesus Christ. You don't walk perfectly, but those debts have been paid. How foolish of you to try to pay them yourself. You're forgiven, okay? And this is really important to understand uh, that, the, that you um, are free from that. It's initiation. It's immersion, receiving the forgiveness of sin, and it's infusion, rejoicing in the power or the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're a new creature in Christ. You have been filled with, you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it should show. This is what John the Baptist was saying. There should be fruits 
of repentance. You should look different. You should talk different, walk different. You shouldn't be the same old person. Yeah, it's a transition, right? Paul writes to the um, believers in Philippi that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this is, baptism is the first step, okay? It's not the last step. It's not like you get baptized and bam, I should have become a great Christian and never sinned again. That's not how it works. This is the first step. And then as you walk with Christ for the rest of your life, you live in that picture. Um, kind of interesting. To me, it's an awful lot like uh, marriage in, in many ways with a wedding, right? As you do your wedding vows, you don't make up your mind there at the altar. Do I want to or do I not? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. I do. How foolish would that be, right? You don't go to the altar until you're ready to do business and get hooked up for life, right? Holy weld lock, okay? You're, you're wed, you're locked, you're, you're married forever, right? But that's something that you already decided in your heart when, you know, the proposal is made and it's accepted, then you start making plans for the wedding. The wedding doesn't make you married. It just makes it official, it's a public statement. The whole world can see. You invite friends and family. God is there before witnesses, and you just declare your love and fidelity for one, one another forever, right? And that's what baptism is like. It's a picture of that, just saying, I choose to follow Jesus. For the rest of my life, I'm going to walk in Him. I'm not perfect, but I'm following a perfect Savior, okay? So we follow the example of Jesus as the early church recorded it in the New Testament, okay? Okay. Now, down through the ages I had mentioned, there's all different kinds of variables, and you might know of some of these in your family or your history, and, you know, questions like, should it be dunking or sprinkling? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Do I have to go all the way under the water? Can't you just sprinkle something on me or pour something over my head? Okay, that's one of the questions people would have, or here's one that's huge. How about infant baptism? versus adult or believer baptism. What if I was baptized by my mom and dad in the church that they went to when I was a baby? Do I have to get baptized again? Another good question worthy of discussion. Or um, there's one that goes around. You may have come across it. Do I have to get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Or some people say you should get baptized in the name of Jesus only. Okay? If you haven't heard that one, praise God, you don't need to know any more about it. Forget I ever said it. <laughs> Let me simplify all that we do here at the Springs Calvary Chapel. If you want to talk to me and have more questions, I don't mean to unpack this as a theology course. You can go to Bible college or get on the internet and you can riddle some of these things out for yourself. We follow the example set by Jesus and the apostles as recorded in the New Testament. In the New Testament, they dunk them. It's immersion. Rather than creating other versions of that, we do what we saw in the Bible. Now, I have made situations where I have sprinkled somebody or I have poured water over them. Often in a case of an infirmity, an inability to get in the water, to go underwater, if you're at a hospital and somebody is going to go see Jesus in a couple minutes, and they want to get baptized. We don't try to figure out a way to get them in the bathtub. We sprinkle them. We get her done, right? Again, baptism doesn't save you. All it is, it's a ceremony just like weddings are, okay? If it's not in your heart, it's not going to do you any good at all. You'll just be going to heaven a little cleaner, or I mean, going wherever you're going a little cleaner. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Baptism is something, it's a privilege you can do, but it doesn't, it doesn't save you that way. So, um, infant or adult, we believe at the Springs Calvary Chapel in what is known as the believer's baptism, okay? And this is something that came about in the 1500s during the Protestant Reformation, but for many, many, many years, the church looked at baptism as something that actually did something to you. Like there was some hocus pocus, some mojo, just like they look at communion and they would say, wow, that when, that, when that wafer and that cup of juice is blessed, it becomes the body of Christ. And I don't, I'm not here to disparage, but there's no evidence scripturally 
and even scientifically, they've taken priestly blessed bread and wine, they've checked it, and the DNA is still wheat, still grapes, it's not human, it didn't become Christ, okay? And Jesus, even when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, he wasn't actually giving them a piece of his finger, it was figurative, it was spiritual, it was a picture, it was symbolic. And so, we, we believe in a believer's baptism, which teaches that you must have of your own will, of your own volition, chosen that I want to become a Christian. This generally happens uh, at an age, some people call the age of accountability or whatever, or as soon as you know better. But uh, an infant can't make that choice. Even a small child can't make that choice. But when a child is old enough to say, I understand that I'm a sinner, they become sinners much quicker than they understand it. But once they finally understand it, I'm a sinner, and the wages of sin is death, and I don't want to go to hell. I want to be with Jesus. What do I need to do? You need to repent. You need to turn from your old way. You need to follow Jesus Christ. And baptism is a way of displaying that. And if you can understand that, then you should be baptized, okay? So that's what we call believer's baptism. If you know and you believe, then go ahead and go through the ceremony. Make the public declaration. I know in my own case, when I came up out of that water and there was a band of angels cheering for me, two things happened. For one, it was an amazing public declaration, right? I mean, I don't know. I just, I didn't plan it. How could you plan something like that? But wow. And just the fact that they would be quiet. For whatever reason, God just rested on that moment and hearts were stilled. No doubt seeds were planted. Something must have been going on in everybody's heart. And the fact that they cheered is even more like, wow, okay, that's weird. But nevertheless, but the second thing that happened, and I think almost more important, is that I found peace. And I don't know how to explain it to you other than the fact that after years of trying to do it my way, I just surrendered and did it Yahweh. I did it God's way. He said, this is the way. And I came up out of the water and I'm like, I'm obedient. I'm attempting to fulfill all unrighteousness. I got to kind of finish this up. Worship team, come on up. Two verses this morning. So, frequently asked questions. Will baptism save me? No, okay? Uh, like the thief on the cross. There was no way for him to come down and get baptized, but Jesus did declare after his confession of faith, your faith has made you well, right? This very day you'll be in paradise with me. In Ephesians chapter 2 we read, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Another question, should I be baptized even if I can't live a good Christian life? <laughs> okay, I said it before, baptism isn't for perfect people. It's for people who have chosen to follow a perfect Savior. It's the first step in a lifelong walk with Jesus. Um, being confident of this very thing, that He who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the question, I was baptized as an infant, do I need to be baptized again? I would just say, remember, baptism doesn't save you, okay? It's what's in your heart. It's identification. It's public declaration. It's like a marriage vow, okay? And if it's not in your heart in the first place, all that ceremony is not going to do you any good. But if it is in your heart in the first place, that ceremony will give you peace. And it just might give peace to others who are watching, okay? So these are some questions if you're interested in being baptized. Ask yourself, do I believe that Jesus died for my sin, paying the penalty for my sin on the cross of Calvary? Have I confessed my sins to God and asked for forgiveness? Have I expressed to God my desire to follow Him for the rest of my life and on into eternity? Do I want to be adopted into the family of God and become a part of the body of Christ as a child of God? Do I want to publicly say that I am a Christian, a follower of Christ? Do I desire to be a blood-bought, grace-wrought, gospel-preaching, scripture-teaching, faith-walking, truth-talking, spirit-flowing, love-growing, hope-showing, mission-going, heaven-bound sinner by grace? Is that you? 
If that's you, then baptism is for you. Let me close up on just one or two points right here. Verse 21 of Luke. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, heaven was opened. Luke always makes a point of pointing out the prayers. This is something that you do with God. And if you're not doing with God, I don't know what you're doing, okay? But Jesus himself prayed at his baptism. Again, as a follower of Christ, I think that warrants our attention. We should be praying. Verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Think about this. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus was just starting his public ministry. He hadn't preached a single sermon. He hadn't taught. He hadn't done a single miracle. He hadn't done anything other than live a good life. And yet, he pleased the Father. Do you understand that as you, in your humanity, submit to God, become obedient to His will, allow it to be, permit it to be so, that I might fulfill all unrighteousness. With that kind of heart and that kind of prayer, God says, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. You make me smile. In you, I am well pleased. Not because of what you've done or are going to do, but just because he made you. And now you're living the life he designed you to live. And it just puts a smile on God's face. Do you know that today, as we are gathered here, God is smiling. He knows you. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows sins you're yet going to commit. And yet, because your heart is turned towards Him, He loves you. Amen? There will be baptism about 1230 down at Riverside Park. If any of you want to join us, I'm happy to have you there. And again, we'll put some more on the calendar before we get into winter here. Um, But as many of you I know are already baptized, there are always some, like me, who are going to church but hadn't done it yet. If If this is what God is speaking to your heart, come and talk to me after. Father God, we thank you so much for this fellowship, this family that you've given us to be a part of. We thank you for your son and what he has done for us that we can be part of this family. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live in newness of life and put a smile on your face. We thank you, God, for all that you have uh, planned for us. And we just ask now that you would smile upon this fellowship as we go into all the world declaring your name, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.